one of the stories that we grow up with is if we do the right thing, good, good things happen. We learned it as a youngster, maybe with Santa Claus, right? You get presents by doing what? Being good. You be good, you get presents. You're bad, you don't get presents. And even as we progress along in life, that's much of what we're taught. That if we do the right thing, if we work hard, we'll be successful. If we work hard at work, we're going to get promotions. If we work hard in school, we're going to succeed. And we're going to get a job and we're going to have a house and we're going to have a family and do all those things. And that's what we're taught. But sometimes experience tells us something different. Sometimes we do all the right things. We can do all the right things, but it doesn't always turn out well. We can do the right things and good things don't happen. And then we read our Bible and we ask our questions. We go to our Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say about this? And it gives us more questions. On the one hand, we might read the Bible and we read the stories of the Bible and it says, if you do what God tells you to do, you're going to be blessed. We heard that in the first passage we read. You know, you know, do what God says, you're going to be blessed in your womb, your crops, your calves, your baskets, your kneading trough, everything's going to be blessed. Do the right thing. Then you go to other parts of the Bible and it sounds like you do the right thing and bad things might happen. Or sometimes you do the right thing and bad things will happen. And so we're going to be looking at this question for today, wondering what does the Bible tell us about that? Now we're going, not going to be able to get into every single issue on this, but asking some of these questions about if I do what God says, will I get good things because of it? Or the way I asked it was, will we be blessed? And maybe as we go through, we might have to explore what we mean by being blessed. So we're going to explore this through two passages. One was from the book of Deuteronomy and the other from book of, the book of John. And I chose those partly because oftentimes we feel like maybe there's a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But we'll see it's not exactly like that. So the book of Deuteronomy, this story. And so let's set the context, always important for the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses giving the law for a second time. So Deuteronomy, Deuter, second anatomy, the law, second time to the people of God. They've been in slavery. They've been rescued out of slavery. And then God gives them these commandments as part of a covenant relationship with them. He establishes a covenant, a partnership with them. And part of that partnership is a whole series of rules and expectations that they're to follow. In the book of Deuteronomy, he's repeating those to the people. And now near the end of it, He's giving them what the consequences are if they listen. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands, I give you today. In other words, he goes back and says, I gave you all these commands and I'm giving you some more. If you do those things, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And then it goes on and it tells all these things that are going to happen and it keeps repeating those. But what we want to pay attention to is a couple of things as we think through this, because we might read that story. We might read that passage and say, oh, look at that. The Bible says, if I do what God says, I'm going to have lots of crops. My womb will be blessed. I'm going to have a kneading trough blessed. All these different things going on. That sounds pretty good, right? Who wants to sign up for that? Do what God says, I get all kinds of stuff. 
But a couple things we have to pay attention to. One is these promises are being given in the context, in the setting of this covenant with God's people. This is a particular time in history where God has called a group of people together and he's doing something and he's giving those promises to them. And for specific reasons. Because you notice in the middle of those, all those promises, around verse 10 it says, the Lord will establish you as his holy people. And he says, then all the peoples on the earth will see you and know that you're called by the name of the Lord. The reason... God says, the reason I'm going to bless you for your obedience is not so you can sit back and enjoy the good life. The reason you're being blessed is so that the nations will look and say, there's an amazing God there. The other thing we notice is he's not giving these promises to a bunch of individuals. He's not looking and saying, okay, Baruch, okay, Simeon, okay. If you do this, you're going to have a great life. He's giving it to a nation. And so as we start to think about how we're going to apply this to our life, we have to realize those things. It has to do with the covenant with Israel. It's to a nation, not to an individual group of people. And the purpose of the blessings is so that the nations will know who God is. And that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. The world's all messed up. God is beginning to set the world right. He calls a group of people and a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 12, he says, I'm going to bless you. But then he says, and through you, all nations will be blessed. In other words, Abraham becomes greatly wealthy, but the purpose of his wealth is to be a conduit of God's blessing. So as we think, first of all, about the idea of blessing, as we think about God's blessing for obedience, we start with that. The purpose of God's blessing to his people is not for the people themselves. The purpose of God's blessing to people is for the sake of others. So all those blessings that God gives to you, whatever those look like, and we're going to talk some more about those, are for the purpose of other people. All right. And we can see that it's not this simple formula. And sometimes we want to turn. I was an engineer in college. I like formulas. I like to be able to know that if I do X, I get Y. I like to know. And much of life is like that. If, you're, if you like to bake, you want to know that every time you set the oven to 350, it's going to be 350 degrees in the oven or somewhere there around there because you learn your oven isn't always exactly that. And you know that if you mix these certain ingredients together, it always is going to turn out into a cake. Imagine if you mixed flour and sugar and eggs and stuff together, and you weren't ever sure what was going to come out of the oven. And for some of us, that's true. <laughs> but what if one time you put those ingredients in the oven and out came a cake, and the next time out came a chicken <laughs> or something else came we like, there's a certain pattern. We know that if we do something, that's how it works. And we want to do that with the Bible sometimes. We want it to be a simple formula. We want it to be a simple procedure, something we can hang on our refrigerator or put on a coffee mug. It's like, if I do this, then God will do that. 
And so we maybe read Deuteronomy and we think, well, if I obey God, God's going to make me prosper. Well, I would suggest you read other parts of the Old Testament. In fact, there's a whole book called Job where it begins by saying Job was a righteous man, far more righteous than anything else. Spoiler alert, things go, don't go so well for Job. It's a horrible experience. Or most of the second half of the Old Testament are these men named the prophets. They did what God wanted them to. Life didn't go so well for them. They were beaten, they were cursed, they were kicked out of town. In some cases, they were killed. So we have to be careful and pay attention to this bigger setting and say, just because you do what God wants you to do, and it's tempting to read a few passages here and there, it doesn't always mean these material blessings. And then we move on to the New Testament, and it feels like we're moving even more away from that. So Jesus, here in this setting of this last time with his disciples, and he goes on and he, he talks about being hated and a little bit farther on, he, um, down at the end of chapter 16, all part of this big, long prayer. He says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And it's this kind of this consistent story in the New Testament of the people who follow God often have troubles. They often have challenges because of their obedience to God. The book of Hebrews tells, has a long passage where it talks about the people who were obedient. Some of them got thrown to the lions. Some of them got cut in half. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the rest of the Bible. I thought good things were supposed to happen if I follow God. And maybe you were told that too. Maybe when people introduced you to Jesus, they said, if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be awesome. Everything will go great. How'd that work out for you? Sometimes it does, but, but part of it's paying attention to, and again, this word blessed. And it's become kind of this word we just throw around a lot. And there's all kinds of books out there. You can buy the bumper sticker. You can be hashtag blessed. And people usually define blessing as what? Good stuff, right? Oh, I'm so blessed today. Listen to one of the biblical writers, a man named Peter. He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Wait a minute. So suffering is blessing? Or Jesus' brother James, who says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you what? face troubles. So all of a sudden we're rolling back and we're saying, wait a minute. Because what Jesus begins to make us understand is what blessing is. He expands blessing. Those same blessings are true, but they look a little bit different. In the book of Colossians, Paul talks about our blessings in the heavenly places. Same in the book of Ephesians, where Paul says, I've blessed you with every, Jesus, through Jesus, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so Jesus is teaching and the New Testament is teaching that blessings aren't simply all the material things. It's not the new car. It's not the new house. It's not those things. Those things might be part of it, but the ultimate blessing, what the Bible wants us to get at, the ultimate blessing is life with God. And in the New Testament, life with God through Jesus Christ. 
And the ultimate blessing is to live with God forever in his new creation, in the new heaven and the new earth. And all those other things are a taste of that. It's a hint of that. It's a, a chance to say, this is what it means when we're, say, blessed. So yes, we could say that when we are obedient to God, we will be blessed. But part of it then is to begin to redefine what it means to be blessed. Blessing isn't always getting the front row seat at the theater. Blessing isn't always getting the upgrade to first class. Blessing isn't always the new car and all the headaches. Blessing ultimately is whatever brings you closer to God. And blessing is also something that is given to you for the sake of others. And so I want us to think about it because there are within, particularly in the American church, but it's spread to much of the church around this world, the idea that if you follow God, that if you just do what God says, then you will be blessed with all kinds of material goods and prosperity. It's not true, people. It is not what the Bible teaches. And I would say that's a false gospel. That is not what God is talking about. Now, are some people materially blessed by God for their obedience? Absolutely. There are people who receive material blessing. But it also doesn't work that way. I prayed earlier for the persecuted church. There are people around the world who are faithful to Jesus, who are completely obedient, and they get thrown in jail, and they get beaten, and they get killed. There are millions of Christians around the world who live in complete obedience, but live in abject poverty who may not have clean water to drink, who may wonder what they're going to eat for this day. You know, for us, the challenge of going to church Sunday morning is which one of the 14 pair of shoes in the closet are we going to put on? For some of them getting ready for worship, it's looking and deciding maybe which member of the family will get to wear the one pair of shoes they have to walk to church. Or who's going to make the three-hour walk to church that day? Because that's the closest place. And so we need to understand that blessing is not about prosperity. It's not about material goods. But I want us to think about this idea and we think, oh, well, I, that's not my problem. But I will say that this idea, this prosperity gospel seeps into the church in many different ways. And I want us to think about a couple of those. One is sometimes we do it as a church body. A corporate idea. We think that if we just do the right things, God will grow our church. You know, and you think, wait a minute, I'm being obedient. We have a Sunday school class. We have preaching. We have music. We have all these things. And we're doing those things. Therefore, our church should be growing. Or maybe we look at our church and we say, look, People are coming in the doors from left and right and we're growing and we're bursting at the seams and we just added three services. God is blessing us for our obedience. I will tell you from experience and from watching that those two things are not always true. Yes, in some cases, you can be completely obedient doing the right things and nobody comes. And on the other hand, the doors can be bursting at the seams, but it is not always a sign of complete obedience. 
there can often be deep rot within churches. And you may not read the same articles, the same things that I'm following, but all you have to do is look back, even in the last five or ten years, at churches. Um, and I will give you one example. If, if you listen to podcasts, there's one called uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill, not to be confused, there was Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids. There was also another Mars Hill Church out in Seattle. And that church in Seattle, which if you know anything about Seattle, if you're familiar, one of the most unchurched places in the country. And a man named Mark Driscoll came in as pastor and the church was bursting at the seams. They were starting multiple, one of the first places to do multi-campus and stuff. But Mars Hill fell because at its core, it was rotten because there was a lack of obedience. There was a lot of things going on. So someone from the outside might look in and say, look, God is blessing. God is giving prosperity to this church because of their obedience. Not always true. Okay, so that's the church. Sometimes we look at it in our personal life. We have this prosperity gospel where if we just obey God, you know, God is going to give me good things. And there are multiple books and I'm, I've already named one name. I'm not going to name other names right now. But there are other books out there that would suggest that if you just do what God says, then God's favor will be upon you. And you will have the big house. You will have all of those things. And those are always a sign of God's favor upon your life. There are churches built around this idea. And it's simply not true. Maybe we think that about our kids. You know, if we do the right things with our kids, if we just raise our kids in the right way, things will turn out right. Again, what's that? It's a formula. Do the right things, kids turn out right. I'm obedient, raising my kids, therefore God will prosper me and prosper my kids. The Bible doesn't promise that. We might pull out a verse or two and think, oh, look, here it says that. Some people like to joke, and it's not the best joke in the world. Do you know who the first parent in the Bible was? God, right? Two kids, Adam and Eve. How'd they turn out? All right? So when we think like, oh, well, you know, the problem is, you know, they knew everything. And so it's not always a matter of that. It's not simply like we do the right things because people have choices. And so we get in this prosperity gospel. Another way the prosperity gospel seeps into the church sometimes. And this was, I think it's going away a little bit, but particularly when I was in high school and college, there was this whole movement called the purity movement. And it was this idea of maintaining sexual purity and doing all sorts of things. But there was a, um, what one writer, uh, Caitlin Beatty, I think called the sexual prosperity gospel, because inherent in many of those writings was this idea and it was taught in youth groups and at camps and in churches around the country. Maintain your purity, kids, boys and girls. And if you do, if you maintain your purity, when you get married, it's just going to be amazing. If you doubt that, I will hand you a half dozen books that teach exactly that. That's a sexual prosperity gospel. And people discover it's not true. 
I listened to a story one woman was talking about. She grew up with that and she believed it all. She kept herself pure until marriage. Two years after getting married, her husband was walking out on her and she wondered what was going on because she had been told if she kept herself pure and they did all these things, then God would bless her marriage and it would be amazing. It would be amazing in bed and it would be amazing everywhere else. And it doesn't work that way. That's the sexual prosperity gospel. So I want us to just think about this idea and say, that's not how things work. It's not a simple formula. You do the right things and things turn out right. If we define, unless we define correctly what it means to turn out right. Because the ultimate blessing for our obedience is life with God. Paul talks about a crown and I have no idea what he's talking about, but there's some sort of rewards going on in the afterlife for what's going on. And the other is that we begin to take on the look of Jesus. I mentioned the passage from Peter that talks about how when we suffer, when we're obedient, Paul talks about the same sort of things. And they talk about the, how that suffering is conforming ourselves to the life of Jesus because Jesus was obedient in every single way. And I'm hoping we all remember how the story of Jesus turned out. At least to begin with, right? The story of Jesus turns out what? He's obedient in every way. He gets betrayed by his friends, crucified by a foreign government, and killed, you know, suffers and dies. And if we stop reading the story at that point, we would say, well, obedience doesn't work out so well, does it? But then if we were to read the rest of the story, what happens? God raises him from the dead. And as Paul says in the book of Philippians, exalts him to the highest place at the right hand of God, the name above every name, seated at the right hand, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The result of his obedience is blessing, but it may not be the blessing in this. And so that's what I want us to remember is that our blessing may not look that way in this life. And so... We're called to be obedient and we will be blessed for that, but it may not happen in this life. So we have to be careful looking at our own life or looking at the others and saying, oh, well, they obviously are doing the right thing because look at all the good things happening to them. Or the flip side, I think which we are more tend to do is we look at people sometimes and see all the bad things happening to them or that their life isn't going so well. And the temptation is to say, oh, God must be punishing them. Or they must not be doing something right. Because if they were, if they were obedient, they would be hashtag blessed. Doesn't work that way. Last two things I want to say. So go back to the story of Israel. And remember, when they are blessed, it's for what? For the sake of others. So if you receive material blessings, remember that God isn't saying, oh, you're so great. So here's all this stuff. Here's a big pile of cash. Go enjoy the good life. God may give you the big pile of cash, but he gives you the big pile of cash because he says, I want you to use that for the sake of others. I want you to use it to build the kingdom of God. I want you to use it to draw others to me. 
And so we might think about if we have experienced material blessings, how are we using those material blessings for the sake of the kingdom? And just as we close that final reminding that the ultimate blessing, when God speaks of blessing for obedience, the ultimate blessing that he's given to us is life with God. That's the ultimate blessing. You know, that when we're obedient, we may suffer in our body, we may suffer persecution, we may suffer trials and stuff. But in that process, God is blessing us by making us look more like Jesus, by shaping our hearts, and by drawing us closer to him. That's the motivation for being obedient. The motivation for being obedient isn't so that we can have more stuff. The blessing for obedience is more God and more Jesus. Okay, I said last thing, one, one reminder. Remember, we're saved by grace. This is, I mean, our obedience doesn't bring us into salvation. Obedience is a result of that. We're ultimately saved by grace. But as a result of being saved, God calls us to be obedient. And may we be more obedient so that we have more of God each and every day.